Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Bader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Hear he, hear he, welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We are streaming live on social media at Show, and, of course, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. Please subscribe when you get the chance. We got the Week 3 Sunday recap, ladies and gentlemen. If you're new to the show, what we're basically going to do is just recap all the Sunday afternoon games. The Sunday night and Monday night game will be on Tuesday morning show at 8 a.m. along with the waiver wire report. That's when we'll talk about the primetime games. Right now, I want to get into while it's fresh in my head after coming off of watching at least a little bit of all these games. I always go back throughout the week and watch everything on Game Pass just in case there's something I missed. That way I make sure I have you guys prepared heading into week, you know, the following week. In this case, it'll be week four. So don't worry, we'll go back and watch all that and be part of the preview show that we talk about, which this week, by the way, we're gonna have a special time, a special show. Uh, my wife's birthday is this weekend, so I won't be around to be able to do all the shows that I normally would leading into the weekend. So on Thursday morning, instead of from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., instead of only previewing the Thursday night and early Sunday window games, we're actually going to go on, Chris and I, that is, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. 
Thursday morning, bright and early, and we're going to preview all of week four for you, all from Thursday night all the way through Monday night. We're not going to have a mailbag segment, but that doesn't mean we won't be available for you guys. Always hit us up at Show with any fantasy football questions. And if it's a normal week, we'll have a mailbag segment where I'll pick a few of my favorite ones and we'll give you a shout-out on the show and answer them live on the show. But we'll always answer any question that comes our way. There will still be the MD's DFS contest show on Saturday night, but it will be Chris and Chaz Flaherty for the entire hour. So we'll still have that. Still have your lock bets of the week. Still going to win you guys some money. Our contest went on today. We'll announce the winner later on in the week like we normally do on Wednesdays when we open up the new contest for the week. But this was the last week for September. We'll be kicking off the October giveaway, which is the same uh, uh, championship football from championshipfootballs.com by Mr. Chaz Flaherty. And each weekly winner wins easy sports betting data. So I want to make sure I give you guys all up to date. On Thursday, I'm going to have another special announcement about some more schedule changes coming up that will be more permanent for the show. But stay tuned. We'll keep you up to date. Just follow us along on social media at Show. You won't miss a thing, along with player news notifications, which is the reason why I like doing the Sunday night recaps, you know, or or Sunday recaps Sunday night, because it's fresh where we have the injury news to talk about through all these games. And what do we got to do? Because at the end of Sunday night, look, you have the Sunday night game, you have the Monday night game. You're trying to contemplate, okay, what do I need to win? But a lot of people are done. A lot of people know what they want to loss already at this point. So now you're already looking forward to the next week. And maybe some of you are panicked. Maybe some of you won and you felt good. But you want either way, you want to get ahead of your competition. And that's what we're here to do today. So let's work our way backwards, shall we? Let's start with the Seattle Seahawks and the Minnesota Viking matchup. Vikings came away with a must win. I mean, they're down 0-2. Mike Zimmer feeling the hot seats. You know, they had to make something happen. Dalvin Cook wasn't able to go in this game. Now, I'll give a little update there. The fact that he was a game-time decision at least does indicate to me that we're still dealing with a minor ankle sprain. I know he wasn't able to practice ultimately throughout the week, but I do think Dalvin Cook has a decent shot to be able to suit up next week. So Dalvin Cook owners, like I said, when this injury first happened, it wasn't going to be long-term. So that's always going to be the good news. We'll watch him throughout the practice reports. We'll keep you up to date on social media. But I think there's a decent chance he does suit up in week four. However, in his stead, Alexander Madison sure as heck looked a heck of a lot like a Dalvin Cook out there. Did he not? 26 carries, 112 yards. And even though that in itself is impressive, the question always about Madison has been how involved he's going to be in the passing game. Because while he can catch the ball... Sometimes they would like to throw a CJ Ham out there. They activated Amir Abdullah. You thought maybe he'd be involved. No, 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 no. Alexander Madison was the only running back to get targets on top of it. Eight targets in this game. Eight targets in a game in which Minnesota was leading the entirety of this ball, this ball game, basically. Like they were they were never coming back from behind. So the fact that he got eight targets in that situation, he is the full-on blown handcuff of Dalvin Cook. Six catches, 59 yards off of those eight targets. The only thing, the only thing that he didn't do is score in this game. That was the only thing he didn't do. But after years of having Madison be a Dalvin Cook handcuff and having multiple times where he didn't actually wind up coming through, it was nice to see him actually come through the way you would need him to, way you expect him to, and give you a Dalvin Cook-like performance. So I guess you got to be happy about that if you were able to get Alexander Madison as a Dalvin Cook owner. If you weren't, that's a tough break. And... I would have to say this is probably going to be a long time before Alexander Madison becomes available again to the Dalvin Cook owner if you weren't able to get him, I'll, especially after this performance, because they're going to hold on tight. Uh, Kirk Cousins was great again in this game. 
I mean, Kirk, look, right now, Kirk Cousins, if you have a plus matchup, if you got a matchup that looks like it could be a shootout on paper, I think you got to plug and play him as a top 12 quarterback or at least as a top streaming option for you to go to. It's two games in a row now. He's three games in a row now. He's been great for fantasy football purposes. And in this one, he was very efficient. I mean, 30 of 38, 323 yards, three touchdowns in this game, no interceptions. He's playing well. He is playing. The offense hasn't been the issue for Minnesota. It's been the defense, but the defense actually showed up in this one. We'll talk about Seattle in just a minute. Justin Jefferson was able to get going again in this game. That's great news. People at Jefferson were starting to panic on him a little bit. 11 targets in this game, nine receptions, 118 yards. He had the touchdown. Adam Thielen, man. I Look, Adam Thielen was one of my busts. I did not think for a second, for a second, that he could actually keep up the touchdown rate that he had a season ago. He's scored in every game so far. He's scored. He's got five touchdowns on the season in three games. And his his lines outside of touchdowns are okay. Like today, he had six catches for the yards. You like the nine targets? I still feel like he's touchdown dependent to give you those wide receiver two numbers. But it's every week. And when it's every week, you play him like he's going to score every week. And that's what you continue to do. Adam Dillon, excellent play coming through for you guys. So the big difference here was KJ Osborne was somebody I had. I am a high-end wide receiver for. Somebody I thought in this game that looked like a shootout on paper, the way he had played the first two weeks, I thought you could maybe take a shot on him if you need to hit a home run. Doesn't come through in this game. Two receptions, 26 yards, two targets. He still had a good snap count, though. He was, I mean, obviously, he's going to be the third receiver in snap counts, but still 44, 30 routes run. That's only seven and eight behind Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. It's not that far. The difference in this game, why it wasn't a K.J. Osborne game, was because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was a Tyler Conklin game. Seven receptions, 70 yards, a touchdown on eight targets. That ultimately took away from K.J. Osborne giving you what he had been able to the first couple of weeks. I don't expect that to continue. Conklin's not going to make my waiver wire report. He's not going to make my tight end streaming list. I got to see it for more than one game. It's the first time I've even seen him be involved. And again, it's well documented the Minnesota Vikings. The tight ends typically just don't get involved. Now, on the Seattle side of the ball, we got to lead it off with Tyler Lockett. It looked really bad. The whole team was on the field. He was holding his knee. He wasn't getting up. Eventually, he was able to get up, walk off in his own power. So you're happy about that. And then on the next series, he actually came back into the game. So look, we've seen players come back into the game and still wind up having to miss practice. Swelling comes up, you know, the next day and they don't want to play in the following week. But the fact that he was able to come back into the game, run routes, and he, he looked okay to me, you know, from the eyeball test, he looked okay to me. I know he didn't have a big game today. We'll talk about that in a second, but he looked okay when he came back in. I, At the very least, it shouldn't be a long-term injury, at the very least. So I think you can breathe easy on Tyler Lockett from that sense, and I would say there's a pretty good chance he suits up next week, being that he was able to come back in. But at the very least, it's not a long-term injury. Otherwise, he would not have been able to return to the game, but it looked ugly there for a second. So while he didn't have the great fantasy day, four receptions on for 31 yards on four targets after being, you know, you know, ballooning out of nowhere. And, you know, of course, he was my wide receiver three this week. I finally put him inside the top five and, you know, he turns back into Tyler Lockett. <laughs> Neither here nor there. He should be fine moving forward. You continue to play him. DK Metcalf gets back on track. Nine targets, six receptions, 100 yards, a touchdown. I don't view this as a situation where only one guy can do well and then the other guy can't. That's that's not what I that's not what I look at. I, I think this is a one A one B in a sense. I think both of these guys could have games where they both go for hundred yards and a touchdown. 
I think it can work that way with the way this offense is built. So I don't worry about Lockett, DK, just eating each other off in that kind of sense. Uh, you're still going to be good with them no matter what. Seattle, I, I'm going to say this about Seattle in general. They got to figure out what they want to do offensively. Because right now they're playing this middle of the road nonsense, which is kind of leaving them in no man's land. Do you want to be a play action based team or do you want to let Russ cook and they'll often just run through Russ? Which one do you want it to be? For the first three weeks, I think there's a reason why their offense has been kind of middle of the road with a few, you know, hot spots here or there. It's because they don't really seem to have an identity. Now you have Waldron, who I do like as the offensive coordinator. I know he's bringing in the McVeigh system. But I say that to kind of point out the Chris Carson thing. Like Chris Carson's not getting the touches that you want him to get. Now he's beginning to touch downs and he has been efficient today. He was 12 carries for 80 yards uh, and a touchdown had a 30 yarder, you know, 6.7 yards to carry, but then two receptions, two yards, two targets, Travis Homer continuing to get that third down role that he got from last week, which I do think has to concern you to some degree. If, Chris Carson is going to continue to not even hit that 15 carry threshold. When you drafted a guy like Chris Carson, you were expecting him to get 15 carries a game. I think that was a reasonable expectation. And then probably a couple targets after that, hoping he gets somewhere to like 18 touches a game on a consistent basis. He hasn't gotten the 15 carries yet. Now, again, he's been getting the touchdowns. He's been efficient. So fantasy wise, he continues to be a high end RB two. But because Travis Homer not last two weeks now has played more on third downs and two minute drills than Chris Carson, you're taking away some of the receptions. And in both game scripts where Seattle was leading and or in this game where they were trailing, he hasn't been able to reach 15 carries. So you need him to continue to get those touchdowns in order to give you those high end RB2 performances that you're expecting out of a Chris Carson. But that is more of a you know result because I think this offense is still Still trying to figure out what their exact identity is. So we have to see how that continues. In the meantime, though, because this offense is built to be consolidated around a few key players, Carson in the backfield, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson, from a fantasy standpoint, the part the productivity will still be there, but you're not going to get that ceiling from everybody that you potentially have until they figure out exactly what they want to do. Personally, for me, I think they should be play-action-based. Because Chris Carson's a powerful runner who gets into rhythm as the game goes on. He should be seeing 15-plus carries a game, and he could play action off of that, and everybody else can run loose as a result. Russell Wilson never needs to throw the ball more than you know 30 to 35 times for guys like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Wilson himself to be fantasy greatness. It just doesn't need to happen. So I want to see that, see that come to fruition. But in the meantime, Wilson, 298 yards, a touchdown, you're a little bit disappointed. I had him as in my top three quarterbacks heading into this week. It didn't quite turn into the shootout that we were hoping it to be. Uh, but Seattle's got to get going on offensively because really they're not playing up to their capabilities just as of yet, which still is kind of productive in, in a weird in a weird way. But I expect that to get better. Let's move on to the Rams in the Tampa Bay game. This is the big game of the week. Everyone wanted to see. Oh, it, I'll just say this real quickly. As far as Minnesota and, and Seattle goes, fantasy outlook heading into next week, nothing really changes for me on any of those guys. And for the most part, you know, if Lockett's okay, you're scot free. So just I wanted to end it with that. You go to the Bucks. You go to the Rams. This is a. I mean, of course, whoever won this game, this was going to be a big win for the Rams. Get the big win here. They move to three and zero. They knock off the Super Bowl defending champs. 
in what is very, very likely an NFC championship conference preview. I mean, very likely that's what it's going to be. Tampa Bay, remember, they didn't have Antonio Brown, still banged up in the secondary. You can, we said this before, you can throw on them. That's why Matthew Stafford was a top eight quarterback for me. You can throw on them. You can take advantage of the secondary. You can't run on them. As we saw, Sony Michelle had 20 carries in this game, 67 yards, 3.4 yards a carry. Highly inefficient. That's why I had Sony Michelle as an RB3. It was only based on volume for me. It still didn't really want to play him, even with the Rel Henderson out. But here's what I will say. If Henderson continues to miss, it's clear that Michelle just takes over the, the entire Henderson role, meaning he's the workhorse. There's no like mixing in Jake Funk to a, a you know an, an annoying level. It wasn't he had one carry in this game. He wasn't involved at all in the passing game. Michelle had four targets, three catches, 12 yards, didn't do much with it, but he had all the touches. When Henderson comes back, I look. Not based off of this game. If Henderson misses another game and Michelle does well in week four, then then maybe we'll talk. But as far as what I saw based off of this performance, and I know it was against Tampa Bay, I don't believe Michelle did anything in this game to make me feel like when Henderson comes back that they're going to be in some sort of 60-40 committee. I don't. Now, maybe out of wanting to keep Henderson healthy, we could wind up seeing a 65-35-70-30 split across the board between these two guys. That wouldn't surprise me. But I fully believe fully believe it will be Henderson's workhorse role when he comes back I really do because this offense just functions better when it has one running back it really does because they have the play action everything based off of that you don't know what they're going to call and Stafford is everything that they they traded for him to be everything they traded for him to be 343 yards four touchdowns carved up this Tampa Bay team looked great and he's the reason why the Rams are a Super Bowl favorite along with Tampa Bay coming out of the NFC. And even with that great game, I still felt a little mad at Stafford because the Sean Jackson, who had three catches for 120 yards and a touchdown, five targets in this game, you know, McVay said going into this week, he's got to do a better job getting Deshaun Jackson involved in the offense because he wasn't involved at all the first two weeks. So he does that. He gets him involved. Deshaun should have had three touchdowns off of three bombs. He was wide open. The play that he did score the 75-yard touchdown was the same play they had ran two times previously where all three times he gets behind the defense because he's still fast at 34 years old and the secondary wasn't putting their hands on him for some weird reason. And the first two times, Stafford ungodly threw him short. I mean, the one, the, the second, the last one they threw him, Deshaun couldn't even know where the ball was. He was it was thrown so vastly short, he had no idea where the ball even was. And he was wide open both times. Both times Stafford completely missed him, but hits him on the third one, goes for a big play. Now, some people are probably going to talk about, well, is Deshaun a pickup now? No, he still played behind Van Jefferson. He still played as the fourth receiver. Uh if he continues to get worked in and we get into the bye weeks, and this is something that we're consistently seeing where they're starting to take shots to him, you know, at least a couple times every week, you can start to give that idea of like, maybe he's a wide receiver for, you know, home run hit in your lineups when you get to those bye weeks or injuries. And you just like, look, I just need to hit a home run. He's somebody who just got some upside, you know, otherwise you know, I'm dead in the water. He might turn into that guy. He's not that guy for me yet. I got to see it for more than one week. Because again, like I said, he was not involved at all the first two weeks. But Van Jefferson still played ahead of him. He's still the fourth guy. I'm not going to put 
any resources into a guy who's playing the fourth most snaps at the wide receiver position. I'm, I'm just not. It's not going to happen. We'll we'll watch that and see how it continues. Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is on his way to being the number one receiver in fantasy football for 2021. He is. He is on his way. He he looks great, and the upgrade with Stafford is just uncapping his ceiling for him. Now, Cooper Cup's great. You're going to start him every week. He's a wide receiver one. We got that. We don't need to talk about that. 12 targets in this game, nine catches, 96 yards, and another two touchdowns. The guy we need to talk about is Robert Woods. Now, I, like some of you out there, I'm a Robert Woods owner too. And I can understand why some of you right now are probably feeling frustrated. Frustrated that you're watching for three weeks now, Cooper Cup go absolutely crazy, and Robert Woods continue on with these mediocre stat lines, this one being worst of all and what should have been a plus matchup for him too. Here's what I'll say. Snap count wise, Woods still played actually more, a couple more snaps than Cooper Cup did, ran only two less targets. In this particular game, had half the amount of targets, or two less, I'm sorry, he ran two less routes, had half the amount of targets from 12 to six because he has six targets in this game. But the previous two weeks, the target share has been pretty close. Better days are ahead for Robert Woods. Now, here's where I am going to adjust my fantasy value on Robert Woods. I'm not going to look at him as if he's in a 1A, 1B situation with Cooper Cup, where they're both, you know, low and wide receiver ones, high and wide receiver. Well, Cooper Cup's case, he's going to be a high and wide receiver one until further notice now. But going into the season, for instance, they were looked at as high and wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. And they're both about the same range. Robert Woods, ADP wise, went a little bit ahead of Cooper Cup for the most part. I'm no longer going to look at it that way. I mean, Cooper Cup, he's an elite guy. But Robert Woods, I don't think you can consider him a high-end wide receiver, too. I think you have to, moving forward, consider him more of a low-end wide receiver, two, probably more of a high-end wide receiver, three, where if you get a certain matchup you don't like or if you have another player on your team that has a better matchup than he does and he's seeing a similar target share, you may want to go with that other player. Just off the top of my head, a for instance that comes to mind might be, you know, a Julio Jones type or, or you know, a better one is Mike Williams. I think you have to start Mike Williams ahead of Robert Woods until further notice right now. That's a good for instance. So I think you just have to adjust what your expectation for Robert Woods is going into the week. Better days are ahead. Remember last year, Woods got off to a horrible start the first half of the season and really closed out strong in the second half of the year. Now, yes, part of that was due to Cooper Cup's injury, but Cooper Cup is not the most healthy guy all the time. That is still going to be a risk throughout the year. However, even when Cup was in there, he still would see the targets. He still had 100 receptions. He's still a good receiver. It just might be taking him and Stafford a little bit longer to get on the same page. If you're trying to trade Robert Woods, I mean, look, the only thing I can think of is you're going to package Robert Woods with somebody to try to upgrade at a particular position. That's the best you could do because Robert Woods himself right now, I don't know what he's going to get you. That's not going to be you on the losing end of that deal. Like I said, better days are ahead. Don't pay on Robert Woods, but just adjust your expectations. And maybe he's not a bona fide lock for you if you have somebody who is in a better position, let's say. So that's my big take on Robert Woods. I think we needed to put that out there. Tyler Higby, five catches, 40 yards. He has a touchdown this game, five targets. He continues to be a guy who will be somewhere in that top 12 range for me as far as tight ends. Let's switch over to the Tampa Bay side of the ball. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. This is what's great about Tampa Bay. They scored 24 points, and they didn't look great offensively throughout this game. And yet Tom Brady still comes through with a huge fantasy performance because he puts up 432 passing yards with a passing touchdown. And even though this game was never really too far out of hand, it's just a result of Brady with these weapons and Bruce Arians, how much they're going to put on this passing game. They passed from the first quarter all the way on. It didn't matter. And that's also going to have a low floor for the running backs, which we'll talk about in a second. But 55 pass attempts in this one. You still he had no interceptions, so he didn't hurt you at all. Brady, he just shows you this is a tough match against the Rams. It's a tough defense. It's a tough defense they've played so far. For him to give you that fancy performance and that, you got to feel good about playing Brady every single week. Okay, now we got to talk about the running backs. I don't know if I hit this button yet already. I feel like I should have if I haven't, but I will hit it now as far as Ronald Jones is concerned. Prepare to be flushed. There's no reason to own Ronald Jones. None none whatsoever. Because whether it's pro game script for Tampa Bay or they're coming back from behind, he's the guy getting left out in the passing game. Always will be. And for even though in this game, he actually wound up with one more carry than Leonard Fournette. He's still coming up behind Fournette consistently as far as the snap count goes between those two. Now, here's the other thing we got to talk about. Giovanni Bernard. Talked about it last week. There's no reason to own him because he hadn't taken over the James White role. And of course, this week he comes out and he's got 10 targets for nine receptions, 51 yards, and a, and a receiving touchdown. He still didn't take over the James White role quite for me. Because what we saw in that game was that on third downs, it still wasn't always necessarily Jimmy Mike Bernard. But when they went into two-minute drill, and they had to go their two-minute drill offense for a lot of the second half, that's when Bernard was out there. That's why he got so much targets in this game. I think part of it had to do with not having Antonio Brown as well. So I'm not ready to sit here and say, oh, that's the signal we needed to tell us that Jimmy Bernard, you know, PPR-wise, the flex play, he's a James White role. No. No, this does. He's got. I got to see it more in one game, but he still was not out there on every third down. Leonard Fournette still played a lot of those. He still wound up with three targets, three catches, twenty six yards. The big thing was that in the second half, when they had to come back from behind, they're playing mostly two minute drill offense. That's when Bernard was out there. So maybe that's what we start to see moving forward, and maybe it does tick up from there. But as of right now, it's nothing to jump on. It's nothing to move on. Uh, Mike Evans, eight catches, hundred six yards, ten targets. People worried about him against Ramsey was going to have a low floor. Has a nice performance here. Even Gowan has a nice performance. Six receptions, 74 yards on seven targets in his own right. Gronk didn't have his two-touchdown performance. Seven targets, four catches, 55 yards. However, 
the big thing is you got to be happy about Gronk because he came out of that game healthy. He took a heck of a shot in the ribs. And it, I thought he was going to be out for the rest of the game. Did wind up coming back, I think, a series or two later. So right now, look, Gronk's the top six tight end. You have to continue to play him as such. Him and Brady clearly on the same page. Even when Antonio Brown comes back, presumably next week, that nothing there changes. The big thing is he came away healthy. The Raiders and the Miami Dolphins. I thought the Raiders were about to pull a big Raider move and lose to a team they had no business losing. And they they tried. They tried to lose this game. They really, really did. They wound up winning in overtime 31-28 to against the backup quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. So I know last week we already hit the dump button on Kenyon Drake. This game just further ensures why we hit it last week and why that continues to be the case. Peyton Barber way outcarried him, 23 carries. Surprisingly enough, Peyton Barber was actually efficient in this game, believe it or not, had a 27-yard run, 111 yards, 4.8 yards to carry, had a touchdown. Uh, I don't expect that kind of line out of Peyton Barber. I know that is going to probably catch some people because it was against a good Miami Dolphin defense. Uh, Josh Jacobs, you know, we still don't know if he's going to be back week four. He's We kind of have to consider him on a week-to-week basis right now. And I know that puts a, a curveball in a lot of people's eyes. So you're going to have to wait and kind of see what happens there. But it just ensures that Kenyon Drake, even PPR formats, doesn't have much value. Doesn't have much value. Because he's never going to get the touchdown carries. Apparently, he's never going to get double-digit carries. And even a game that was back and forth like this, you can't trust the target share to always be there. He had six targets, which are fine with three catches to 33 yards. But he's just, he's not the handcuff. He's not. So unless he winds up turning into a PPR flex running back, he has no other value. He has no upside. There's no reason to own him. Like a Cordell Patterson or a J.D. McKissick, for instance, they're going to get targeted a ton. So they have the flex PPR more so than Kenyon Drake does. But the other thing about them is that they are the one-on-one handcuffs to their guys in front of them. Well, Patterson, I still have to see if something happened to Mike Davis. I still have to see if Wayne Gallman would get involved. But as it stands right now, you have more confidence in being the one-on-one handcuff. Kenny and Drake's just not in that position. Now he would need Jacobs and Peyton Barber to get hurt. And if Peyton Barber got hurt, who knows how else they would bring off the street. So it just kind of remains that to be seen. I don't, I'm not touching a Raiders running back. The only one I'm interested in is Josh Jacobs because, again, I don't trust these stat lines out of Peyton Barber unless I'm just completely desperate at the position. Derek Carr, kind of along the same lines of a Kirk Cousins, he has to be considered a weekly top 12 quarterback. Three tough defenses in a row. Steelers, Ravens, Dolphins. All three of them, well over 350 yards. They're throwing the ball, man. And he's doing great. 386 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But Derek Carr, man, right now, talk about safe streamers, guys you could pick up. Well, at least in some leagues, he's probably still available. But guys that you could play, you know, as top 12 quarterbacks and feel confident about at least the volume, if nothing else, feel confident about the floor. He's one of those guys. What's crazy, though, is that he's putting up this high level of production. And yet, I still don't feel good about any pass catcher outside of Darren Waller on this Raiders team. Now, again, five catches, 54 yards, and seven targets. Not the big Darren Waller game you're looking for. You know they'll come. And as far as you know, that performance is, it's as good as any other tight end, really, for the most part, who didn't score a touchdown. I will say this. Henry Ruggs is not somebody who's going to be on the waiver wire report, but is somebody who's going to start to get on my radar. Had a nice game last week in week two. 
Seven targets in this game, four catches, 78 yards. Brian Edwards still played by far the most snaps because they trust him in the running game, so he's always going to be out there no matter what. Henry Ruggs still is more out there when they go 11 personnel, not necessarily when they're only in two wide receiver sets, but starting to get more and more targeted. And somebody who's just on my radar. There's still too much of a split here. Because you have Edwards who had five targets, three catches, 89 yards. You have Hunter Renfro, who's still a factor, five receptions, 77 yards, had the touchdown this game, six targets. And then, of course, you have Darren Waller, who's always going to be involved. So there's still the ball is still getting spread out pretty evenly here. But Ruggs is somebody, because he has the bigger play potential of that group, is going to start to get on my radar, but not going to make my way to report yet. I need to see it a little bit more before we can confidently get to it. But he made some nice plays in this game. On the Dolphins' side of the ball, I don't know how much you want to take out of the Dolphins without Tua because you know this offense is going to change. Specifically behind Mike Gusecki. He had 10 receptions for 86 yards and 12 targets. As long as Jacoby Brissett is the starting quarterback, I think Mike Gusecki can enter back into that mid-level tight end two streaming territory because when he took over for Tua last week, Gusecki saw a lot of targets. And then this game, you know, yes, they were trailing for most of this game. Brissett had to throw the ball way more than they would want him to 49 times. But still, 12 targets for a tight end cannot be ignored, especially when you're in that range where you're desperately trying to find tight ends to produce. Can't be ignored. So the fact that he was able to get that with Jacoby Brissett has to give you some confidence. So for at least the next two weeks, because, you know, two is on the short-term IR, so for we're definitely going to get Brissett for at least two more weeks. I think Gusecki can re-enter that streaming tight end territory because clearly Brissett has a rapport with him to target him. And this game, we got to see it with, you know, the full plethora of wide receivers back. Will Fuller return. Now, three catches, 20 yards, six targets. He was somebody that I was like, look, yes, he has the big play capability. Maybe you like the matchup, but I'd rather see it a week. He played the third most snaps out of the two, Waddle Parker. Uh, he was he had 51, to their, and they were in the 60s. Waddle had the most snaps. Not that's to be expected. He's just got back. He hasn't played football in a little while. He had the personal issue last week. We're not sure that's all about. Fuller will get more involved, and this team will be predominantly 11 personnel. So they're just gonna have a lot of pass catchers out there. But right now, the top receiver to have is Jalen Waddle, and he had an insane amount of workload here 13 targets, 12 receptions, 58 yards. So this is the other thing about Jacoby Brissett that we're seeing. He has a nice deep ball. He threw a couple deep balls in this one. He's just not very accurate. He doesn't hit it very often. And more times not, he's looking to check the ball down. So I don't know how much down the field you're going to get, but you especially love PPR value out of a Jalen Waddle right now, even half-point PPR value too. He's got a safe floor. And clearly, Brissett is targeting the middle and shorter version of the field. That's why you see Gasicki and Waddle gobble up as many targets as they did in this game. Part of it, of course, due to game script. But with Brissett out there next two weeks, it's a good chance the Dolphins have to come back from behind in the majority of these games. So to expect that game script or a similar type of game script, maybe not going into overtime, but a similar type of game flow is very much in the cards here moving forward. So I think you can take some things out of this game. I think you might see some Jekyll and Hyde because it's it's still Brissett at the quarterback. He was inconsistent when he was a starter for Indianapolis. And you get some mixed results. But I think that's how this thing kind of breaks down. Will Fuller will start to play more. I think that's going to destroy Devontae Parker. And I think eventually Will Fuller will be overtaking Devontae Parker out there on the field, you know, in playing time, routes run, and overall just production. 
Um, but those two kind of battle each other out while Waddle and Gasecki, as long as Brissett's a quarterback, I think are safe within their high volume roles because that's where Brissett's looking to go with the ball majority of the time. The backfield, Miles Gaskin continues with his five yards to carry. But Malcolm Brown played a lot in this game. In fact, I believe he was only 34 to Miles Gaskin's 43 snaps or, or something along those lines. It was very, very, it was very close between those two. Uh, and that's something that I think will probably continue. Or at least while Brissett's in there. I think because what they wanted to do is they wanted to get more of a power run balance go. They wanted to try to open up play action a little bit more. They clearly thought they could do that better job with Malcolm Brown. Now, I don't know why they thought that. Now, Brown wasn't inefficient in this game. He had 4.4 yards of carry, 7 carries, 31 yards. He comes away, of course, with the rushing touchdown on, on a nice 24-yard scamper. But that's the point. He would have had 6 carries for 7 yards outside of that 24-touchdown run. He's just not efficient. So why they won't continue to give Miles Gaskin more of a workload, I don't know. But this was the first game he got in a while. They had double-digit carries, the very least. Three catches, nine yards on six targets. You like the targets there. I just think he's nothing more than a a very low-end RB3 because he is still getting more carries on his team than anybody else at a running back position. But you can almost make the argument that maybe he's more of an RB4 and that he really shouldn't be playing in your team, but he's he's not a dump. You hold him till Tua gets back. He's not a dump because he's efficient when he touches the ball, but he's not touching the ball enough. And because of Malcolm Brown, the way the Dolphins are doing this offense, which has been a catastrophe in my mind. I think the two coordinator thing I don't think is working. This has been an anemic offense. Let's make no mistake about it. Uh, but as a result, Malcolm Brown, Savant Ahmed, Gaston's not getting opportunities to catch, or is not getting opportunities in the red zone. So if he's not going to get an overabundant amount of receptions, and he's not going to get in the end zone, there's not really much upside other than you're hoping he just breaks one because he's not getting, you know, plus 15 carries to go along with it. So you hold him, you don't dump him, but I'm looking for more options to play if I can possibly help it in, in, in any capacity. Uh, Denver Jets, this will be quick. There's not much to talk about here. <laughs> I, I will lead off with KJ Hamler. He got hurt. Had any issue. Hopefully he's okay. We'll have to keep you guys up to date because that'll, that'll take some more time to know. He's probably considered week to week, I believe, at the moment. As a result, though, the target share just gets more and more consolidated if he's going to miss time along with Jerry Judy. Tim Patrick, five catches, 98 yards on five targets in this game. Cortland Sutton also had five targets and five receptions, but he only had 37 yards. That was a disappointment, of course, with Sutton because the big game against Jacksonville, Another juicy matchup here against the Jets. They dominated the game against Jacksonville like they did here against the Jets. So you thought, okay, well, he doesn't necessarily need a ton of volume to get it, but it wound up being Tim Patrick who got a few more deeper passes. Uh, It's just kind of how the game went. Bridgewater only threw the ball 25 times in this game. So better days are ahead for Cortland Sutton. Don't think that week two was just a mirage, okay? But he's going to be featured. He's going to get the ball. And they're going to play tougher teams where they're actually going to have to put their you know, pedal to the metal in some instances too, and not just dominate these crappier teams, basically, which is what they've gotten to do, especially the last two weeks, but really all three weeks. And they had the Giants week one. So I'm not worried about Cortland Sutton, but Tim Patrick, if KJ Hammond's going to be out and Jerry Judy's going to be out, Patrick's going to enter that high end wide receiver four, low end wide receiver three discussion because the targets are going to get more consolidated. And he's proven time and time again, when he gets a start, he produces pretty solidly. 
he is a threat to get you a touchdown. He is a threat to get you 100 yards in any given in any given game, any given matchup. So somebody keep your eye on. He's been on my waiver report the past two weeks, and he's probably going to be on it again because he just doesn't have that sexy name. But somebody who does something produces, and you need a wide receiver, he's someone to look at. Noah Fant, super disappointing. Two receptions, 15 yards on three targets. Again, nothing to look into here. It's just kind of how this game wound up going. You chalk it up to a dud. You move on. Better days are ahead. The big thing was that both Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon got to score in this game. Uh, and Javante was a little bit more involved in the past game than Melvin this was. And that's the switch from what we saw the last two weeks. He had four receptions, three catches, 33 yards. Gordon had two targets only, one, one reception with 21 yards on that. So you want to see that. If you're a Javante Williams owner, you want to see him start to take over more of the passing down role because that will keep his floor higher. Both backs were inefficient. Don't get scared if you're the Javante owner that Melvin Gordon had 18 carries to Williams' 12. He had a fumble, had partly to do with it. However, Sherman has a history of bouncing back with his guys the following week. I'm not worried about this following Javante uh, into week four. I think, look, when it comes down to it, both of these guys are RB3s that have low-end RB2 potential given the matchup. Melvin Gordon, for instance, was in my top 24 this week. And because they scored, they produced for you Better days are ahead for both. Melvin Gordon is going to, as long as he's healthy, he's going to keep hanging around. It's going to be a 50-50 split. So I don't think that value changes until either Javante runs away with his job or Gordon gets injured. There's only one thing to talk about. Well, there's two things to talk about on the Jets' side of the ball. And I'll, I'll lead it off with this. I, I feel like I shouldn't have to do this, but he's still pretty owned in a lot of leagues. Prepare to be flushed. <laughs> If you have Elijah Moore in a redraft 10 or 12 man league, there's no reason to continue to own him. He's a dump. All right. And, and now he's got the injury where he's week to week, but this offense can only sustain one decent wide receiver. That's it. And that one receiver for me would be Corey Davis. And again, Corey Davis is only a matchup based wide receiver four in my mind. That's why he came in my rankings and it continues to be the case. When they play against good defenses, this offense isn't going to be able to move the ball. They couldn't move the ball against the Patriots. They didn't move the ball against Denver. When that shows its ugly head, when they play against Buffalo and play against the Dolphins, they're not going to be able to move the ball. It's just not going to happen. You can't play Corey Davis in those matchups. But when they have matchups against easier teams, which they will, you can plug and play him. He will have touchdown upside, and you can plug and play him as a wide receiver three probably in those matchups. There's no reason to own anybody else as a wide receiver on the Jets. Maybe Crowder when he gets back as a PPR option, because not in this game, but the way they had been using Barrios up to this point gives you some indication. Uh, but that's only if you really just need a guy to plug and play and only PPR formats only, not half point. The other, the second thing is Michael Carter. If you own Michael Carter, hold Michael Carter. Don't move off of him. He was he played he had more carries than Ty Johnson did. Now Ty Johnson had more snaps, but that's because Ty Johnson's still playing ahead of Carter when it comes to the passing down work. I still think that's going to change at some point in the season. Now I don't think Michael Carter's are going to turn to a workhorse back, but he might be playing fifty five percent of the time. Like he might be getting fifty five percent of the workload across the board between carries and receptions before this season is done. I do believe that's going to be a valuable asset for you guys to go off of. So Michael Carter, you hold him. Corey Davis, you hold him, 
but you're really going to have to pick your spots. I want to play these guys, but they do have some value. I want to get a word in from our sponsor. We still have more games to recap and talk about more injuries, more synopsis, more sell lows or sell highs and, and buy low prospects available to you guys. So stay tuned on the MD's fantasy football show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. Your client's going away for 10 years. Unless. Unless. We swap first round picks. Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league. With the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We're back, MD Nation. We're back on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming live on social media at Show, And, of course, on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel. Subscribe whenever you get a chance. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're going over the Sunday afternoon week three recaps. Trying to get all the analysis out there. The injury updates that happened throughout the day. Our immediate reactions from what happened for the majority of the games today. Make sure to check us out, you know, Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. We'll be back with the Sunday night, Monday night preview or Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night recap and the waiver wire report. So we'll have that to look forward to. Continuing on here with our next game, the Giants and the Falcons. So I know this isn't fantasy related, but we got to put this out there. Uh, when is Joe Judge going to get the uh, hot seat here? Because I don't think it's Joe Judge who's on the hot seat. I think it's Jason Garrett. Now, it's clear to me Garrett's going to be the scapegoat. I feel like a firing might be happening soon. You can't lose to the Falcons at home with how bad they've looked the first two weeks. Your team is supposed to have at least a core of talent. You're not a good team, but you're supposed to have a core of talent. Falcons look like a mess. Falcons look like a team, they don't know what direction they're heading in. They kept Matt Ryan for no reason, but they trade away Julio Jones. They look like a team that should be in a rebuild, but they're trying not to be. The Giants are a team that it's, it's supposed to be now. This is Daniel Jones' third year. This is the year they're supposed to be a playoff team. They're not. So I'm really curious to see. And I'm tired of watching good offensive players, not Daniel Jones, because he's what I thought he was. Of course, you know, the second you think you can stream Daniel Jones in a matchup because he's running all over the place is the game that, you know, you can't because he does nothing through the air for you whatsoever. We'll talk about that in a second. But I'm tired of watching guys like Saquon Barkley, Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. 
And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. You have to sit there and pray for him to get the volume, to get the fantasy value out of him because you don't put him in positions to succeed. Tired of Kenny Galladay being an absolute waste of a contract signing because he can't get more than five targets in a game. Tired of watching it all. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens moving forward. Sterling Shepard goes down with a hamstring injury, got ruled out in this game. Darius Slayton got ruled out with a hamstring injury even earlier than that. That led to Darius Toney having a crazy amount of snaps in this game and yet no production. Two catches, 16 yards, three targets. He had the second most snaps to Kenny Galladay at the wide receiver position and still was no usage. Colin Johnson, seven targets, five catches, 51 yards. He's interesting. I mean, Colin Johnson is somebody I've actually always kind of liked. So if you're in like those deeper dynasty leagues, he might be worth a pickup. Now, we don't know what the, the length on Shepard and Slayton, their hamstring injuries are going to be. We, we don't know yet. But assuming they miss some time, I think that had a lot to do with why Saquon finally saw seven targets in this game. Now, part of it is that he played more in this game than he had the first two weeks. And there was this big plan that by week three, they were going to fully unleash him. And, and snap-wise, playing time-wise, they did that. He had 16 carries. He had six receptions. He had 22 touches in this game. That's what you want for Saquon. He had the goal line carry. He gets you the touchdown. He had a good productive fantasy day. What worries me still, though, if you can't hear the concern in my voice, I do still have some concern in my voice, is the 3.2 yards per carry against the Atlanta Falcons. That worries me. That concerns me. It should not be that low against the Falcons. This offensive line has got to find a way to get better. And Jason Garrett, you got to give some more screens to Barkley. Remember his big plays he had in the rookie year? A lot of them are based off of screens. Why don't you ever throw a screen? You have this bad offensive line, but they are athletic. So get them out on some smaller guys. Get their confidence underneath of them. Get Barkley in a position to make a big play. Because right now you have nobody who can make a big play. The way you're using Kenny Galladay, he's never going to make a big play unless Daniel Jones actually gets you know accurate down the field, which he's not. Uh, Sterling Shepard just operates the intermediate part. Darius Slate is the only guy you can be able to hit a big play with, and now he's got the hamstring injury. Darius Tony's still a non-factor. The only person you have on your team that could actually make a big play is Barkley. So utilize him. But that's why I think, honestly, at this point, I don't think Garrett makes it through the whole season before he gets fired. I really don't. Again, this game shows you why you can't trust Daniel Jones as a streamer because he just might be terrible as a quarterback. Kenny Galladay, you can't drop him, but you can't trade him, and you can't start him. So he, he's, he is the definition of a wide receiver in no man's land. You can't do anything with him. You can't. It's unfortunate, but you can't. You can't do a damn thing with him. So he's got to be on your bench. He's got to be no more than a wide receiver four. Now, with Shepard and Slayton out, logical thinking would tell you that this, tar- this target share is about to get consolidated around Kenny Galladay, maybe Evan Ingram moving forward, and Saquon Barkley. But it happened in this game. They, now, I know Galladay was a little bit banged up. He was a game-time decision with the hip injury coming into this game. But still, it's the Atlanta Falcons, and he still played the whole game. 
still walks away with five targets. I don't know. It's the way they're utilizing him. He's either running a slant or a deep, deep down the ball. He's not doing anything else. They're not letting him run a full wide receiver route. Exactly what I was worried about going to Jason Garrett. So Galladay has to be on your bench, but you can't drop him. You can't trade him. You have to hope that he turns a corner. They start to utilize him more. Maybe now they will with the wide receivers out. And then you'll be able to potentially trade him because I want out on Kenny Galladay. If you have the opportunity to get out on Kenny Galladay, take it. If you could trade him for something at some point, take it. That's what I would be waiting for right now on Kenny Galladay. That's what I'm looking at moving forward. On the Falcon side of the ball, nothing really changes. Matt Ryan's not a play. He comes with an okay game. Cordero Patterson, I already talked about last week, how you need to start considering him as a PPR flex play because of how involved he is in the passing game. This game just reaffirms that. He had seven targets for six catches and 82 yards. He still is getting about 40% of the carries, which is kind of what the beat writers are talking about that they were expecting out of him between him and Mike Davis. He's still inefficient as a runner, though. He 2.9 yards a carry, seven carries, 20 yards. Uh, Mike Davis was more efficient in this game, but was playing against the Giants. 12 carries, 50 yards, and Blake Martinez, who their only real you know, run stuffer, as he got hurt early in this game, not knocked out of it. Calvin Ridley, I don't worry about. Eight receptions, 61 yards on 11 targets. Even Kyle Pitts, I know you're you're definitely going to be disappointed by the box score against the Giants because you're hoping maybe this is the game he breaks out and he was worse this game than he had been the first two weeks. Only three targets, two catches, 35 yards. You look at the snap counts, you look at the routes run. This is still going to be centered around Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts as the guys getting the majority of the targets, especially when the Falcons are going to be down, which is going to be pretty much every time they're not playing the Giants, essentially. But Patterson will get worked in more there. Pitts is still a top 10 tight end. You're not dropping him. You're not, I, I wouldn't, I'd highly doubt if you have pits, you have a better option. So I'm not going to be moving the needle at all on pits based on this game, even though it was a disappointment in a plus matchup. So not a whole lot changes for the Falcons. Mike Davis continues to be a very low end RB3 that you can only play in plus matchups. So let's move on to the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Ryan Tannehill had a very good fantasy day. Not great, but very good. Wasn't a great NFL day. 18-27, only 197 yards, two interceptions, but three passing touchdowns and tax on 56 yards on the ground. It's a Ryan Tannehill stat line. That's kind of what you're looking for. It gets you right around the top 12 performance, and you know he'll have games where he gets that rushing touchdown or he actually does go for 250 yards passing and, and gets you more closer to the top eight of quarterbacks. So he felt good about this game and gets a... I mean, what I used to consider a good defense, I don't know if I do anymore, especially not in the secondary. But you like the matchup in a tough divisional rivalry game that Ryan Tannehill came through with a solid production line. Derrick Henry, man, not, not enough can be said about this guy. There just can't be. He had 35 carries last week. He comes back and has 28 carries this week for 113 yards. Just didn't have, you know, the three touchdown performance that you would, I guess, come to accustom to it almost practically at this point. To have that kind of a workload back to back weeks and didn't look tired at all. It's just insane. And continues on with his being more involved in the passing ways. Three catches through 31 yards, three targets, which, by the way, three targets was only one less than, you know, the tie for the top on the team, which was four between three different players Julio Jones, Nick Westbrook. I'm not going to bother saying Ikeen, Ikein, and uh, Geoff Swam. A.J. Brown goes down with a hamstring injury early in this game. He had two targets, 
It was in first quarter of this game, unfortunate, because this this was a game that we were kind of pinning as an AJ Brown breakout week. You need him to was kind of rough the first two weeks. And now you got the hamstring injury you got to deal with because he was ruled out so quickly. I do worry about this being more than just a today thing. This could be, you know, week four with a question mark for week five. We'll have to see. We'll get more information, you know, as the days come. And we'll keep you up to date on social media at BellyUpMDFF Show. While he's out, Julio Jones has to be considered a wide receiver too. Now, something weird happened with Julio in this game. I, I'm not sure why. And Vrabel wasn't very enlightening when they had him in the press conference as to what the heck they were doing. But he got load managed in this game. Now, Tennessee pretty much controlled this game from start to finish. There was, It was never a blowout, though, which is why it makes me still a little bit curious. It's not like they had the game well in hand, but they were controlling the game for the most part. But Nick Westbrook, he had 53 snaps to Julio Jones' 35. We only had seven more snaps than Chester Rogers, the number three receiver. This is with A.J. Brown going down early in this game. 18 routes run. It's only one more route run than Chester Rogers had in this ball game. They said it was a management load. So they're indicating that it wasn't that Julio suffered an injury during the game. It was just very, very odd. It was very odd considering it's a divisional matchup. AJ Brown was down. And while you were controlling this game, there was a point in this game where it was only a one point game. It was very odd. So that's something that has to make you feel uneasy moving forward. But, Ultimately, if A.J. Brown's going to be out, I got to think this offense is going to revolve around the passing game being mainly tilted towards Julio Jones, especially as long as he, you know, this wasn't because of an injury. This was just a load management thing. I got to think, well, that load management is going to be off if you are only down to one star receiver. So Julio is going to have to be considered a at least a low-end wide receiver, too, for me, as long as A.J. Brown is going to miss. He'll move back to being a wide receiver three when A.J. Brown's back out there. But you have to feel excited about playing him even though this game was just kind of weird the way it broke down. Nick Westbrook will be the guy for A.J. Brown as far as the snaps go. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if this offense just got more consolidated down to Julio and Derrick Henry, quite frankly. So I don't know how much I'm going to want to run out and pick up a Nick Westbrook this week. On the cold side of the ball, I, I want to give Carson Wentz some credit. He didn't play well. I didn't expect him to play. I mean, first of all, I didn't expect him to play at all, number one. And to think that he could come out there and play well I think would be a bit ambitious. 1937, 194 yards, didn't turn the ball over, didn't have any passing touchdowns. This guy's on two bum ankles, just trying to make something happen because the backup situation for the Indianapolis Colts is beyond pathetic. I want to give him a lot of credit for gutting it out and going out there and putting out a gusty performance and having the Colts again, like I said, in that game, it was while the Titans seemingly controlled this game. It was still only a one point difference at one point in this game. So I want to give him a lot of credit because he kept them in this ball game. Michael Pittman, six receptions, 68 yards on 12 targets. As long as Carson Wentz is playing, you could trust Michael Pittman to be a wide receiver three, I believe a lower end wide receiver three, but a wide receiver three nonetheless, because he can continue to get the large amount of the targets since week one. It's been the Michael Pittman show for targets and route runs and snaps well ahead of Zach Pascal. Parrish Campbell's not even a thing. So I think you can feel fine about Pittman as long as Wentz is out there. The running back situation gets a little bit interesting. Jonathan Taylor's still not scoring. And in a game in which they should have been trying to take as much pressure off of Carson Wentz as they could. And again, like I said, even though they were trailing, it was never out of hand. 
for him to only get 10 carries against the Tennessee Titans has to be a little bit alarming. Comes away with 64 yards and wasn't involved really that much in the pass game. Three targets, one reception, eight yards. Naeem Hines assumed his normal role of six targets, five receptions, 54 yards. That's That I expect to have. Now, Hines is the one who wound up with the rushing touchdown. It was on a, a nice nine-yard run. So as a Jonathan Taylor owner, I get you're, you're frustrated as all hell at that point. But it's not something I continue to have happen. Naeem Hines will be involved in his role, which caps the ceiling of a Jonathan Taylor ultimately, which is why Jonathan Taylor has always been an RB2 for me, not an RB1. However, I tend to believe right now, Jonathan Taylor owners, some of them, especially if they're, let's say, 0-3 after this week, will be so incredibly frustrated that you might be able to get Taylor pennies on the dollar. Better days are ahead for Taylor. He is a phenomenal running back. Better days should be ahead for the Colts offense in general. They can't continue to be this banged up. At least you'd hope not. He's still a good running back. So for instance, and we're going to talk about that game in a little bit, but Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who finally had a decent game against the Chargers. If I could sell him straight up for a Jonathan Taylor right now, I would 100% do it. And by the way, after this week, especially if the Taylor owner is 0-3, I think that's a deal that could get done because of the amount of frustration on Jonathan Taylor right now. I think it's a deal that legitimately could get done. So look for things like that. If you can get Jonathan Taylor for pennies on the dollar, maybe look to make a couple of offers. Don't do anything that's, you know, don't do a parallel move. And of course, don't overpay. But if you can get for pennies on the dollar, look to make that move because he is a buy low candidate for me this week. I think they're probably hitting that point. I don't have Taylor in many places. That's why I say they out there. But I, I'm pretty sure Jonathan Taylor owners are hitting that point. Let's move to the Colts. The, uh, I'm sorry, not the Colts. The Saints and the Patriots. First of all, as far as like NFL purposes, entertainment, watching, it was this was a snooze fest of a game. I mean, it was it was not fun to watch. But Saints show that you know what, we're not as bad as we were week two. We're maybe still not as good as we were week one, but we're definitely not as bad as we were week two. That that probably being the biggest takeaway that you could have here. Jameis Winston. Wasn't good. 13 of 21. Didn't throw the ball very much either. 128 yards, two passing touchdowns. One was a YOLO shot that happened to fall into the arms of Marquez Callaway, which, of course, when I tell you guys to dump him, is the game he finally actually does something fantasy wise. But still, only four receptions for 41 yards on five targets. And we're now two games and a bye week away from Michael Thomas rejoining, which, by the way, they clearly need Michael Thomas back. If Michael Thomas is going to be 100% healthy when he comes back or close to it, I really do think he's got a chance to return to wide receiver one stat. And that's been a big debate about people. Is he going to be 100% healthy when he comes back? Even when he comes back, is it going to be like last year where it was a big disappointment? This is, you know, a new Jameis Winston, not Drew Brees. It's so obvious that the Saints so desperately need Michael Thomas back in the lineup that I would not be shocked he re-enters and is getting double-digit targets every single week, just given what the rest of this wide receiver core looks like. It just wouldn't shock me. So we're two games and a bye week away from that being a thing. But that's why Marquez Callaway is not somebody who jumps back on my radar just because he had a touchdown in this game. What you're happy about seeing, you're an Alvin Kamara owner. While he still didn't get the targets you want, he still had 27 touches total because he had 24 carries for 89 yards. It was a tough Patriots defense. I wouldn't expect them to be, too many people to be efficient against them. He still had the three receptions, 29 yards. He gets the receiving touchdown on four targets. You just want Kamara to get touches. I don't think you care if they come. I mean, if you're PPR leagues, of course, you would prefer them to come to the passing game. But 
if you tell me that Kamara is going to get 27 touches in any given week, I'm going to say he has more likely not going to finish as an RB1. That's all you really want to see. And that's, by the way, that's all you care about with this team. That's it. I don't care about anything else when it comes to New Orleans Saints. I don't. I don't care about the receivers. I don't care about the tight ends. I care about nothing else. All I care about is Alvin Kamara. I don't care about the quarterback of Jameis Winston either. You can drop him if you picked him up at some point during this week. Move on. But you can feel good about Kamara moving forward because they got back to the base and making sure they got him to touch the ball. Mac Jones, I'll say this, Saints defense, they're a good pickup. They got healthy again this week, and they look good. Mac Jones, three interceptions in this game. Had to throw the ball more than he's had the past two weeks. 51 pass attempts, 270 yards. Did have the passing touchdown. Look, the Patriots don't just, they just don't have a lot of weapons. They just don't. Kendrick Bourne's, eh. He had eight targets, six receptions, 96 yards, and he's the one who had the touchdown. Jacoby Myers continues to be the wide receiver you want to own. He continues to be a low-end, volume-based wide receiver three, high-end wide receiver four, 14 targets in this game, nine receptions, 94 yards. This is not the type of game script the Patriots are looking to try to be in. They want to be in close, low-scoring games, which is why it caps everybody's fantasy potential. James White, unfortunately, gets carted off the field, goes down with what looks like a major injury. We still don't have the exact details of that injury yet, but it could be rough. It could it could be rough. We'll have to see exactly what happens moving forward. In the meantime, Brandon Bolden was the one who came in and played that role. I wouldn't be surprised if J.J. Taylor took on more of that role as we move forward. But what remained clear was that it sure as heck wasn't going to be Damian Harris. So if you're a Damian Harris owner and you were thinking, well, if something happens to James White, maybe then they'll let him catch the ball because he has the skill set, like Sonny Michelle did before him, of being able to catch the ball coming out of college. Nope. Nope. Brandon Bolden coming off the bench, four targets, three receptions, 23 yards. J.J. Taylor coming off the bench, two targets, two receptions, three yards. Damian Harris, two targets, two receptions, negative three yards. No matter what happens, Damian Harris will not have that role. For whatever reason, in Josh McDaniels' system, it's set up to have one guy who's only a runner and somebody else who's a pass catcher. It's unfortunate. It caps Damian Harris' ceiling. But it's just the nature of the business. Now, I'm not Damian Harris was a terrible game this week. I didn't have him. I had him as a sit this week. He was a bust of mine this week because you're playing against the Saints who are always tough against the run, especially if you're not a running back who catches the football. You're not going to have much of a floor heading into that match unless you fall into the end zone. So better days are ahead for Harris. But what's disappointing is that I wouldn't look forward thinking he might have an opportunity to catch balls because he's not. Uh, the tight ends... I had hope for Janu Smith. He had six targets in this game, but it's only one reception for four yards. Hunter Henry, six targets as well. Five receptions, 36 yards. They keep splitting everything evenly, and neither one is getting touchdown looks because they're on a low-scoring, low-volume passing offense most of the time, and they're eating into each other on top of it. I had high hopes that Janu Smith and Hunter Henry could actually be you know, hovering around that top 12 streaming territory. I no longer do. I, no lo- I don't think there's any reason to own either one of these guys. So what I want to do now, I'll take another quick break and another word in from our sponsor. We still have a few more games to talk about the cap off this Sunday afternoon recap. So everybody stay tuned here with the MD's fantasy football show. We'll be back with you guys right after this. 
One of the best sponsors of the show is named Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Symbol, where Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. The Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout. Well, when they lose, you don't lose money. The value of your team's share is all that matters, and it's easy to use. Just download the Symbol app on your Play Store and use the promo code MDSFANTASY for a $10 deposit of at least $10 or more. Join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul, where the sportsbook edge is put back into your hands as the player. For the latest and most fun in sports gambling, download Symbol and again, use the promo code MDSFANTASY for your $10 deposit bonus today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Welcome back, MD Nation. Welcome back to the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming to you live on social media at Show. Of course, on the YouTube channel as well, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Please subscribe. You can always catch us on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available on iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, being a big one. And we'll be live Monday night from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged Radio Sports Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, going over the week three Sunday afternoon recap. On Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., we'll go over the Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and your waiver wire report. We're just getting this our immediate reactions out here and some of the news that happened along the day today. The next game I want to talk about is that pesky Chargers-Kansas City game. Now, I'm probably the least panicked on a one or two team like the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not panicked at all. Now, I can't say that about the Chiefs. They seemed a little bit worried. I want to lead off with this before we get into, you know, all the fantasy data, the numbers, the players, the stats. Andy Reid, you know, had this report. He went to the hospital right after the game. That's why I didn't come out for the press conference. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Everything we've been told is that he's going to be okay. Now, that could be a relative term, though. I mean, we don't know exactly what's going on. He felt ill and obviously felt bad enough that he needed to go to the hospital immediately and leave in an ambulance. I mean, that's that's more than just like I feel a little under the weather there. But everyone's saying he's going to be fine. Now, again, like I said, that's going to be a relative term. Fine as to like you're going to be okay as in you're not going to die or fine as in you're going to be on the sidelines coaching next week. That part, we don't know. 
we don't know. So there might be some things ahead for the Kansas City Chiefs this week that we're going to have to actually pay attention to. The other thing was that the offense in general wasn't very sharp in this game. Chargers came out. They had a good defensive game plan. You have to give you have to give them credit. And this is the first game that I felt like the Chiefs offense wasn't sharp. Like Again, against the Ravens, yes, they lost that game. They lost that game 35 to 36. The offense still played pretty well outside of Tyree Kill. And again, this was another disappointing performance for Tyree Kill. Five catches, 56 yards on seven targets. You still like the targets. You know there's better days ahead for Tyree Kill. I can't somebody brought this up uh in this afternoon today that I was talking to, and they were saying, well, maybe Tyree Kill will wind up becoming a, a buy low candidate. And I have a hard time imagining a guy like Tyree Kill with you know that name, the value that name alone has, and the offense that he's in is gonna be a buy low candidate because he had two bad games after he had almost a 200 yard performance in week one. If somebody is Willing to sell you low on him, of course. Always send out offers, check him out. But it's not, he's not going to be a buy low candidate of mine. He's not something I'm going to be aggressively going after because I can't see that actually being the case. Better days are ahead. Don't you worry. But I think what we saw today for the Chiefs offense is the result of what happens when a team is able to play solid defense and take away one of two of your go-to options. I think it's the one thing this offense is lacking. They don't have a go-to third option in this team. I think when they drafted Clyde Ridgler, I think they were hoping he would be that. But being that they don't have a Sammy Watkins anymore and being that Clyde Ridgler has not been that guy, they don't have a third option to really go to. Mahomes doesn't really have a third option to go to, not a consistent basis anyway. You have this rotation going on between Miko Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, and Byron Pringle. And really, ultimately... Those guys would all be wide receiver four, wide receiver fives on any other team in the NFL and be practically irrelevant, be practically relegated to special teams if they weren't playing on the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, who actually makes them semi-relevant. I don't think they would be relevant anywhere else. Miko Harmon gets the touchdown today. But like You don't care about any of them fantasy, and that's with them being on the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. So I think what you saw today was a result of if you take Tyreek Hill away and they don't really have a third option to go to, Travis Kelsey can go for 100 yards, which he did. Seven receptions, 104 yards, and 11 targets. And you can you can control the Chiefs. You can beat the Chiefs. You can make them mortal. We saw a little bit to some degree in the Ravens game. We saw it to more of a degree here in the Chargers game. So I think that's going to be something that's interesting to watch moving forward. Now, you're never going to always be able to take away Tyreek Hill. So I'm not worried about that. And Travis Kelsey, no matter what seems to be going on with the Kansas City Chiefs, he'll just he'll find a way to get to 100 yards. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether he scores or not might be the question, but he'll find a way to get to 100 yards. Has so far every single week this season. You're not going to worry about Mahomes. 263 touchdowns had the two picks. He'll be fine. But here's where this does the conversation does start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 17 carries, 100 yards. By far his most efficient game of the year. 5.9 yards a carry. Still only saw three targets, two receptions for 11 yards. Or I'm sorry, two targets, two receptions, nine yards. Gets the receiving touchdown, which really boosts his fantasy value on the day. But still not very involved in the pass game. In fact, Daryl Williams was just as involved and had the extra target. And had a red zone carry. He had seven carries, 28 yards. When they got in close, he came in on the goal line again. He had the red zone carry. It wasn't Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So this is by far the most touches he's had this so far this season and by far the best efficiency he's had this season. Meaning to me, it's not necessarily sustainable. 
because we haven't seen Clarence Alert touch the ball this much yet this year. We haven't seen him be this efficient yet this year. So basically, you're going to have two, two lines of thought. It's going to be, okay, this is Clarence Alert getting better moving forward, or uh, this is going to be one of his better games of the year, and it's not sustainable. I subscribe to more. This is going to be one of one of being one of his better games of the year because he's just not consistently involved enough in the offense. He's not, and I don't think he's going to be. But this was what I wanted for Clyde Edwards-Lara owners heading into this week. I said against the Chargers, it's a good matchup on paper. There's a decent chance they try to get him a little bit more involved. If he winds up having a good game, sell him immediately. You got the good game. You got the hundred yards on the ground. You got the receiving touchdown. Everyone's going to be looking at this a little bit differently. Like, oh, Edwards Alaire on the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, oh, this is more what we expect for him to do. Maybe this is the start of him moving forward. Sell him, sell him, sell him. I just talked about how I would sell him straight up for Jonathan Taylor and how I think that deal can get done. Look for opportunities like that this week. Whether I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be a running back for a running back. I mean, you're a receiver. But look, this is your opportunity to sell Clyde Edwards Alaire high while you have the chance. Please, MD Nation, please take that. Because I don't think he has games that are much better. than. I'm not saying this is definitely his best game of the year. But I think there's a decent chance that it's close, if not the best game of the year. So take the opportunity while it's there. On the Chargers side of the ball, Herbert performed more like the fantasy quarterback you wanted him to be. Still didn't get over 300 yards, but 281 yards, four touchdowns, looked good. Now, this is a good matchup. Again, the Kansas City Chiefs defense is much worse than it has been in, your, in years past. That, that's a big difference here. But he continues to utilize both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Williams getting nine targets, Keenan Allen getting 12. They both got in the end zone. Mike Williams got in the end zone twice. They went over 122 yards, seven receptions. Keenan Allen gets his eight receptions, 50 yards. I will say this about Keenan Allen. He still has, I think he has a few more targets than Mike Williams through the first three weeks. But here's the thing. Because Mike Williams is now allowed to run a full route tree within this offense and get featured in a 1A, 1B situation, which I do think is what this is. I think this is a 1A, 1B situation. I don't think Allen or Mike Williams has more value than the other. I really don't. I think they're on the same level. The problem is now for Keenan Allen, I don't think he's that low-end wide receiver one, especially in half-point, full-point PPR leagues that you were, were hoping you would get out of him when you drafted him because of the target volume. Now, he's still... you're. 12 targets. He's still getting double-digit targets. He's still getting plenty of volume. But because Mike Williams is now operating all over the field as well, I think it might cap the amount of times Allen gets 100 yards or more this season. I think they might be a little bit fewer, a little bit farther in between. He was never a touchdown guy to begin with, so it's not something you're banking banking on for his value as well. I think ultimately you'll have a few more targets, you'll have a few more receptions than Mike Williams, but the yards might be close. Mike Williams has the bigger down-the-field threat, so while he's getting mixed in all over the field, he also gets down the field a little bit more. Had a nice 43-yarder in this one. I think the yards should be close, if not tilting towards Mike Williams. I definitely think he's going to have more touchdowns by the end of the year. There's a chance here that Mike Williams is the more fantasy-valuable asset, but I look at this as a 1A-1B situation. I just think you have to look at them both as high-end wide receiver twos who have very high floors because of the volumes that they're seeing because it's so consolidated around those two receivers. But I think Keenan Allen's no longer that guy who could slip in and be that low-end wide receiver one by the end of the year. I don't know if he's necessarily had that because Mike Williams is kind of eating away at him a little bit, especially when it comes to the yards. Not worried about it, just kind of an observation I wanted to point out there. Austin Eckler doing Austin Eckler things. Six receptions, 52 yards, a touchdown, six targets. 
Uh, 11 carries, 55 yards. The next closest running back, Larry Roundtree with four carries and three yards on those four carries. It, there's nobody else involved. Austin Eckler, believe it or not, it's a workhorse. And because they're a throw-first team, not a run-first team, he could be a workhorse while staying in that 16 to 20 touch area where he's not you know, necessarily getting overworked. I think it's going to continue. And he continues to get the red zone look too, which is, I think, the big, really a big key with Austin Eckler as well. Uh, Jared Cook, two receptions, 27 yards, three targets. He's back down to low end tight end to Jared Cook. Stream and close your eyes if you feel like streaming him that day. I think he'll have some big games throughout the year, but you're never going to know when they're going to come. You're never going to know when they're going to come. Let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this will be the last game we talk about for today. Jaguars got to figure something out. Did you see the crowd when Jamal Agnew brought back that 109 kickoff return or, or field goal return for a touchdown? First of all, yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Good for you. Big play. It'll be a highlight for, I don't know, forever. But they looked at that like that was supposed to spark them. Everyone was expecting the fans, Urban Meyer, Jacksonville Jaguars themselves. Everyone was expecting that play to spark them. It did nothing. It did nothing. It did nothing. And the problem is the play calling. It's so incoherent. There's no rhyme or reason to it. When you call, look at Kyle Shanahan. He's, he's renowned as one of the best play callers in the league. Or, or Sean McVay. Either one you want to look at. They do the same thing. They're calling a play to set up another play. They're not calling that play for that play in particular to you know have to work exactly the way it's designed. That play is being called so they can take the information of what the defense shows on that play to set up another play down the road. So there's a sequence. There's coherency. Right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars look like they're out there calling plays and just throwing stuff to the wall and hoping something sticks. They're not setting anything up. Even in this game where they actually tried to get back to the running game to take a little pressure off of Trevor Lawrence, and they did to some success. I mean, James Robinson, 15 carries, 88 yards. He had a touchdown. Even Carlos Hyde was efficient. He had eight carries, 44 yards in this game, both well over five yards a carry. You would think then... Okay, the idea is that if you're going to get back to China, let's establish a running game and get play action off of that. They didn't do that. They had a handful of times. So what's the point? Set up Trevor Lawrence to be in a position to succeed. This is not a good Cardinal secondary here. And yet, you made them out to be world beaters. 22 of 34, 219 yards, a touchdown on two picks. That's what Trevor Lawrence had to look at. That's what he got. That's bad. I had Lawrence, somebody I thought could be a top 10 quarterback as a rookie because of the volume, number one, which the volume for the most part has been there, and the fact that he has weapons to be able to go to. And they would have some of these matches because they were last place last year. They have some of these matchups where they should be able to put up points. It might not always look pretty, but from a fantasy perspective, all you're looking for is production. I can't trust that anymore. If you can't put up the numbers against the Cardinals, who am I going to trust to put up the numbers against? So far, the only team they've had decent numbers against was Houston. And again, they put up 21 points. This was bad. Now, Lawrence, he's, look, he's not a streaming quarterback right now. The offensive line is too much in shambles. 
And until something changed with the play calling with Urban Meyer, with the, if, unless until they get an identity, I don't know if you can trust Trevor Lawrence. Now, the wide receivers are something different. Marvin Jones continues to be the top targeted guy. He had eight targets in this game, six receptions, 62 yards. Chark was the guy who came away with a touchdown, having three receptions, 49 yards on six targets. And LaVisca Chanel continues to just be the checkdown guy. Four receptions, 48 yards, four targets. Marvin Jones is the guy I want. I think Marvin Jones, he didn't score this week. He did score the last two weeks. But I think Marvin Jones is somebody who could be considered a higher-end wide receiver three, and in certain matchups be considered a, a low-end wide receiver two, potentially. I do think he's that guy because he's seeing a heck of a workload. This is actually the first game. Not only did he not score a touch, it was the first game he didn't see double digit targets. And he still had eight, which is a lot. Uh, so that's that's the one guy I think on Jacksonville you can still trust on a week-to-week basis. James Robinson, maybe they're going to look to establish the run moving forward. I don't know. Maybe that's what the start of this was. I'll say this. I'd rather sell high on him too. Really nice game here. Six receptions, 46 yards on the six targets to go on top of the 88 yards and the touchdown he had on the ground. I just want to, until they figure something out, I just want to be out in the Jacksonville offense as much as humanly possible. Like I said, I like Marvin Jones. I think he's a nice plug-and-play player to have. I think he's a nice piece to have. I think DJ I think DJ Charles is in the same mold, too, because I think he still has more big play capability and touchdown. He'll be in the same kind of category, maybe a little bit lower than Marvin Jones, but the same category. So I like him there, too. But... You're not banking on those guys. And in James Robinson's case, I don't trust that come next week, they don't just decide we're going to forget about the running game again. I'd rather sell him a guy who has high volume, who has a nice performance here, kind of along the same lines of a Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He was drafted as to be an, a solid RB2, and he put up decent production in this game. You can make the argument that they're looking to get back to getting Robinson involved, take some pressure off of Lawrence, who's been struggling early. You can make that argument to somebody. What are you going to get him for? I'm not entirely sure. I would maybe, like I said, Jonathan Taylor's a buy-low candidate for me this week. Maybe I would package him with something to try to get a deal done, potentially. But I'm looking to sell James Robinson if you can. Because I can't trust this team at all. On the Cardinals side, you know, better days are ahead. They have this tendency to play down their opponents. It's annoying, but... Kyler Murray didn't have the big blow-up game you were hoping for. Did go over 300 yards passing. Didn't have any passing touchdowns. Had the one interception. He still gets you the rushing touchdown, though. So that's this is it's Kyler Murray. He's always going to be a top-10 quarterback. Always. Even in games where he doesn't really do as much as you would hope he would, like in this game. My real disappointment was DeAndre Hopkins, and you knew you were running a risk. Now, if you have Hopkins, and he's healthy and he's playing, or I should say if he's playing, you play Hopkins. Yes, he walked away for three catches and 21 yards and six targets in this game. Yes, he was clearly out there to be more of a decoy than an actual involved player, although he still had a red zone target in this game. Uh, if he's out there, you play him. There's no way around that. This is one of those things you chalk up. He wasn't healthy, but you had no other choice. You don't beat yourself up for a decision like this. But here's how bad the Jaguars' defense is. They literally brought a man back from the dead. That's how bad they are. AJ Green, who's been washed up for over a year, goes over 100 yards in this game. Five receptions, six targets, 112 yards. By far his best game of the year. No, he's not a pickup. No, he's not going to be on my waiver wire report. No, I don't expect this to continue. But this is just how bad the Jaguars defense is. They 
AJ Green at this point in his career with what he has shown can be a guy who puts up over 100 yards. That's what's that bad. It's 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 that it's that bad. It's that bad. Uh like I said, it's not going to continue. Christian Kirk, seven receptions. He goes over 100 yards as well. I do think he has some games like this. I don't think this is the best game of Christian Kirk. I don't think this is something that's going to be a fluke for Christian Kirk. He had eight. At some point this season, Kirk and Rondell Moore will overtake A.J. Green on the roster, and A.J. Green will be the fourth receiver. But Kirk's whether he's the third guy or the second guy, he's always going to be out in the field enough where he can have these kind of games in these kind of matchups and be that wide receiver four guy you can kind of plug and play in there and hope for a big game out of. I think this is kind of typical. I think he's a guy you need to hold you know, on your team, just have you know the right adjusted expectations for him. I know Rondell Moore was I, – I, I said Dondre Hopkins was the biggest disappointment. I, I was wrong. It was Rondell Moore was the biggest disappointment. Uh, two targets, two receptions, a yard – one carry for three yards after the first two weeks, even though he was a guy that wasn't playing a ton, was always getting utilized when he's on the field. And you have this game, you're going into it, you're thinking like, well, Hopkins is going to be banged up, even if he's going to be limited, the way Moore has played and going up against Jacksonville, a lot of people felt, including me, I had Rondell Moore as a high-end wide receiver four, borderline low-end wide receiver three heading into this matchup because of how much he had been utilized when he was on the field, how great explosive he looks, and you go up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's some people who took shots on Rondo Moore in their 10 or 12 man leagues and it backfired. That happens. You're still holding Rondell Moore. You don't take anything out of this game. At least I hope you wouldn't. He's still very much an upside play as the season goes on. But, you know, I can understand it. This was the first you could play it. I'm going to backfire it on you. Backfired this badly. You feel a little burnt by it right now. I get that. Moments will come for Rondell Moore. Don't move off of him, please. As far as the running backs go, Connor winds up with two touchdowns this week. Still inefficient, 3.9 yards a carry. Still did have one touchdown vultured by Kyler Murray in this game. But what's, you know, it, the same thing has played out the last three weeks now with this with this backfield. If they get in the red zone, if they get within a 10, James Connor's coming in the game. So even if, whether it goes to Kyler Murray or James Connor for the touchdowns, it's relevant for Chase Edmonds. He just gets capped because he's just not going to get those red zone looks. He had as many carries as Connor did in this game. This is the first game he was less efficient than Connor was. He had 11 carries for 26 yards, only 2.4 yards a carry. But he does what he does best. Seven receptions, 49 yards, eight targets. Half point, full point PPR leagues. Chase Edmonds continues to be an RB3. And he's still an RB3 with upside. We know this is a, is a guy who can break a big play and will eventually. When it's going to come, who knows? But you're playing him more as a solid floor RB3 because of his involvement in the passing game, and he's a more efficient runner than Connor more times than not. But I don't know if he's ever consistently going to be an RB2 unless Connor were to get injured. Because it doesn't look like they're going to give him the opportunity to actually run away with the job. It doesn't look like it's going to, at least not yet anyway. So until further notice, he just you can't consider him to be a guy who could be an RB2 for you, but a high-floor RB3 who does have big play potential is what you can look at him to be. So a very solid flex play, a very solid flex play, and continues to show that through the first three weeks. That's going to do it for the show, guys. We're actually going to wrap this up a few minutes early. I hope you all enjoyed it. We recapped everything. We'll, we'll keep you up to date on all the injury news. 
throughout the week. If you follow us on social media at Billy of MDFF show, subscribe to our YouTube channel for more content that we have coming out throughout the week. Remember we'll be back at 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning with the Sunday night, Monday night recaps and the waiver wire report along with that special time on Thursday morning from nine to 11 a.m. We're going to preview the entire week four, so make sure you don't miss that. We won't be back on Friday. Like we normally are. The show will be back on Saturday with the MD's DFS contest, but it's just going to be Chris and Chaz for that one. We'll make sure we get you off to the weekend, right? Get you off winning some money like we always try to do. Subscribe to any one of your favorite podcasting apps for the show. iHeart, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker. And then check us out from 6 to 7.30 Monday on the Unhinged Radio Network, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. We'll have more content coming from you there. Guys, good luck for Sunday night. Good luck for Monday night. I hope you guys get your miracles if you're looking for one or hold on to your leads if you're in the lead. MD Nation, take care. We're going to talk to you guys real soon. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.